On today's episode, we're going to talk about how to deliver customer experience by tying down a very solid backend system. Do stay tuned. Welcome to 2X e-commerce, the e-commerce marketing growth podcast where you ask questions and I, Kunay, answers them. Also here from proven marketing growth experts who are number one or number two in specialist areas of online retail marketing. So if you work in or own an online retail business, listen in, get involved, join me, and let's put some fuel to skyrocket your e-commerce growth. So on the inbound marketing strategies, how do you beat Amazon? Natural search and our search engine position is critical to the customer flow through the website. I personally would not have an account process interrupt checkout flow at all. My favorite customer lifetime value calculation is an easy one. It's your average order value times that purchase frequency times uh, your customer lifespan. I'm Kunay Campbell. Let's get rolling. Behind on planning for Black Friday and Cyber Monday, Clavio is here to help. Clavio is a growth marketing platform chosen by the innovative direct-to-consumer brands you love. And the results speak for themselves. Those brands have made more than $3.7 billion in revenue through Clavio in the last year alone. With the holiday season right around the corner, Clavio has created the ultimate planning guide for crushing those holiday revenue targets. From marketing creative to segmentation strategy, there's still time to implement proven tactics for more personalized marketing. Take charge and own your customer experience. Whether you're a billion dollar business or starting up, Clavio is the growth marketing platform to help you win this holiday season. Visit clavio.com forward slash 2x to get Clavio's holiday planning guide. Remember, that is klaviyo.com forward slash 2x. Hello, everybody. It's Kune, the host of the 2x e-commerce podcast show. And yeah, welcome to today's episode. If you know me already, or if you listen to this podcast quite regularly, you'd know that if I have a very insightful interview, I will do a small intro prior to allowing you guys to listen to that interview. And today's show is one of those shows. Today, I speak with the CEO of um, Bright Pearl. Um, his name is Derek or Carol. I think they're based in Bristol in the UK and they also have offices out in Texas in the US. Now, Bright Pearl is a cloud-based ERP system for retailers and wholesalers. And they pretty much work full circle backend. So if you think about, you know, what's happening um, from an inventory management standpoint through to your POS, it's, you know, full service. Now, that's not why this episode is super interesting. This episode is truly interesting because they ran a bit of research on why brands have poor trust pilots issues trust pilot review issues poor trust pilot review issues and they were able to whittle it down to inefficiencies in customer experience right across the board due to 
feeling back end issues. And I found that really interesting. Derek also has an in-depth understanding, given the number of e-commerce and retail brands that Bright Pearl works with, he has an in-depth understanding of how retail works on the back end, the efficiencies, you know, processes. And he, you know, um, he mentioned a few things which, you know, if you are, you know, working hard on your e-commerce business, you know, you're um, doing multiple seven figures, you're processing at least, you know, um, a few at least 50 orders a day, um, this podcast will really help you. He talks about mapping out your customer experience journey. You know, how do you want your customer experience journey to actually be panned out in each channel you're working with? I found that, you know, really, really insightful in terms of the, you know, his in-depth knowledge of what to do, how to map it out and how, you know, they see brands map stuff out. Besides that, he talks, you know, a lot about um, ways to improve your customer experience in general. It's 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 a brilliant show, and um, just sit tight. I guess you should get some notes out, a notepad out, if you're not driving. And um, yeah, take take notes on this one. It's it's a really really good one. I enjoyed this conversation. Enjoy. Hi guys, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast and I'm your host, um, Kone Campbell. This is a podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. So if you're looking to grow metrics such as, you know, conversions, average order value, traffic and ultimately sales, you are in the right show. You're listening in and, and dialed right in. Um, if you haven't already, folks, um, remember to um, join our Facebook group. Um, it's the e-commerce growth accelerator on Facebook. Just search for it and let's take this conversations, this one-way conversations you're, you're getting um, and, and turn it two ways. Speak to, to guests, speak to other listeners and, and let's, let's just, um, you know, start conversing. Right. Now on today's episode, um, I have with me Derek O'Carroll. He is um, pretty much the CEO of Bright Pearl. Um, Bright Pearl is like a cloud-based ERP for retailers and wholesalers. It's, it's more omni-channel if in, in the real sense of it. Um, I came across Bright Pearl about three or four years ago um, when I went up for a conference up in Yorkshire and um, the delivery, I think um, a member from the Bright Pearl team actually um, keynoted that event. And it was brilliant. It was really, really brilliant. So when um, the opportunity arose to speak with, um, you know, um, the, the CEO, the man in charge, you know, of um, Bright Pearl, I, I just jumped at it. Yeah. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Derek. Derek, welcome to the show. Kune, thanks very much. A real pleasure to be with you today and look forward to our conversation. Fantastic. Um, I probably haven't done you sufficient justice in the intro and, and Bright Pearl. Could you take a minute um, or two to introduce yourself on Bright Pearl? Yeah, sure. So as you said, um, I'm the CEO of the company since uh, May 2016. It's interesting to note that the company was set up in 2008. So there's a lot of domain expertise within the founder team. And then I've augmented that with some changes around product market shift to bring us closer to high value jobs of work being done by Bride Pearl on behalf of merchants. 
And um, and what Bright Pearl does is effectively we focus on removing human error from the back office by allowing customers to manage by exception the complexities that arise when you're trying to offer a really high level of customer experience in all channels and all channels being sales channels, be they physical in store or at a, at a field show or a trade show or whether they're online, whether it's your website or whether it's a third-party website, a wholesale website, a marketplace, you know, that complexity um, uh, really ensures that clients can um, uh, have a system that removes human error. And this is really important as well because you said in your introduction that you're focused on how to grow quickly. And one of the things that your listeners will know is that at periods of growth or high peak trading, we're just about to head into what the US call Turkey 5, um, you know, Cyber Monday and all of that sort of good stuff. And as those peak waves of orders come in, you want to make sure that your uh, operational load does not increase accordingly with costs because obviously that will erode, uh, erode margin. And then if you're one of those merchants that, um, you know, gets a 20, 30, 40% lift over the period, you want to make sure that you don't lose that accuracy, the efficiency of service, uh, and the removal of errors that uh, can be introduced, unfortunately, by human beings in the back in the back office. And um, and that's what we're all about. We're all about management by exception in the back office, a single system, just for merchants. So for these eleven years, we've been building a very powerful system, just for one sector, so our customers mm-hmm. can focus on you know their product, their markets, their pricing, rather than worrying about maintaining code bases uh, through third parties. And um, that's a very expensive exercise to get into. So yeah, hopefully that gives you a quick overview. Interesting. Interesting. So um, what size businesses um, realize, okay, we need an entire back-end system? Like yeah. So I, so I would say that um, companies that have passed the million pound or euro mark in terms of uh, revenue uh, and companies that have in doing that, um, opened up multiple sales channels. So maybe they started off with a you know a nice Shopify site, and they used some tools to plug in to Shopify. So it's a single channel play, uh, mm-hmm. and that's what we typically see. Uh, and then as you get up into maybe they do a deal with a large store, like a, if you're in the states, like a Walmart, or if you're in the UK, a Tesco, and you're not, you need to start getting into the EDI side of things, and you open up multiple channels. That's usually the first area that you would see, okay, I need something to orchestrate, for want of a better description, all of the complexities that arise when you start adding in sales channels. So that's one type of customer. So I call them uh, digital natives. So people who've started businesses, cool product, maybe in the last three or four years, don't have enough stores and have really started generating revenue in one channel and then are looking for global expansion. I'm going to pause. I'm going to ask you to pause, please, because I have a question right there specific to that segment of customers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what's their major pain points? I'm thinking their major pain points would be like inventory management, because if all of a sudden um, you have John Lewis to supply or you have um, you know Best Buy to supply, um, you know it it changes. It, you know, I might be totally wrong. Um, what what are you seeing um, from what, what are the biggest back-end challenges for businesses that are expanding outside of that single channel? It's about, I think, you know, cutting through the complexities that arise. The key thing that client, that merchants really need to focus on is making sure that they're using their cash uh, in the most efficient manner when it comes to having stock available for sales. 
and that they don't get themselves into a position where they denigrate their brand by um, offering poor customer service or mismatching customers' expectations that they've had maybe when you were a smaller business and you were just dealing with them on one channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and this just arises from as you get bigger, you go into multiple sales channels, you need to start thinking about, okay, is the product available? Which, which warehouse um, is it going to be dispatched from? How do I ensure I get the best margin to ensure that the uh, product, that the system allocates the correct warehouse, which is nearest to the, to the client? Or you might be using something like Amazon FBA, where you need to um, leverage their logistic uh, service that is fulfilled by Amazon. Excuse me, I should have said that. Um, yeah. Or the B2B marketplace. If you're using that type of service, you need to be very aware of the type of penalties and more importantly, the charges that Amazon will put back upon you so that you're not serving the customer and losing money. Uh, And then to your point, uh, if you're using uh, or supplying B2B or you're in the EDI world, that you um, are also doing that from a perspective of efficiency and you're not double selling or overselling across any channels. So in real time, you need to have an accurate view of stock and inventory at all points. So that's that's the key challenge that we see as being a major tipping point. And when customers get it wrong, they see, whoops, we've just spent too much money or we've oversold too much money on stock or mm-hmm. we've seen a spike in, uh, we've started attracting stars of three and four on Trustpilot for reviews mm-hmm. because people are complaining about they got the wrong product or it didn't arrive in time or they, they were hit with a with an unknown cost or charge. You know, so so it really is linked to merchants should be thinking about what degree of complexity do I have in my business? How many sales channels am I gonna be servicing? And how do I service those at margin, my target margin that is, so that I'm profitable. And so to your point, order management, inventory management is the key thing. That hits them first. But the second thing then is, whoops, am I profitable? Am I making the margin I need Mm -hmm. to be? And is my price point competitive? Or am I using the channel accordingly? And then you get into the area of real-time accounting, real-time journaling, and you don't get any nasty surprises. Because as I said at the beginning, it's all about cash. Mm -hmm. Don't tie your cash up in stock. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. That makes sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, so next segment. Um... Yeah, so next segment is... um, Established retailers, uh, maybe you know, being in business for more than five years, have grown very successfully. Maybe on one channel online, maybe through website, have a loyal customer base. Um, maybe they have some stores, uh, you know, ten, twelve, twenty stores in a particular country, and they're being faced with uh, a challenge of you know the board is asking them to get more growth. They're looking at expansion. How do I get into different markets like I don't know Germany, America, China? And um, that's where the limitations of systems that they've bought over the last 10 years come to play. So they might have a single system of point of sale in their stores. They'll have a accounting solution, um, which uh, is not plugged into all the stores in real time. They'll have separate systems for doing warehouse management, for doing order management, for doing inventory management, for doing fraud checking. The list goes on. And that's a, that's a, that's they come to us with a need to, hey, we want to grow into new channels or we want to grow into new business models because they might be direct to consumer and they want to go B2B. Uh, we need a system that can handle the hybrid nature of this, today's trading environment. 
But we need a system that can work in multi-currencies and allow us to open up, say, an Amazon store as a test in another country in two, you know, in two or three minutes. You know, like a fully integrated system to be able to do those types of uh, tests so that they can see whether they can take their product globally or into other markets. And that's, that's, that's a very big cohort that we see coming to us. It's basically limitations around the silo systems that they've bought over time. Legacy systems, I think you'd probably call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because you know, the macro trend of cloud, uh, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, uh, that, that, was a real, that was a real problem even three, four years ago. Whereas now, that now is going away. So if you've mm-hmm. got a warehouse in the countryside, the chances are you've got Wi-Fi now and, and, and broadband. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't there three years ago. So it, 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 it's, it's incredible. A lot of people come to me and say retail is in trouble, retail is dying. But I still look at the fact that 20% of all, um, just over 20% of all orders are processed online. That means 80% are still in the physical world. So this, yeah. this, this disruption's just starting. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Um, so we, we discussed earlier about um, the, the North Star of, um, probably not in those terms, but of e-commerce, of commerce in general, you know, being customer satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the, you know, it's it's represented in terms of like your reviews mm-hmm. now how do you protect your um your your your, your 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 reviews your reputation essentially from ground up um from a system standpoint from a system and process standpoint within you know a retail or a commerce environment so we we, we did a a sir a report on this about five months ago and we used a third-party agency and they went out and they interviewed about 4,000 consumers and about 400 retailers across the physical and, and the virtual world. And we looked at over 175,000 reviews on a service called Trustpilot. Mm-hmm. And uh, we analyzed what, what were the root causes that were being called out in a negative review. So when someone wrote a negative review about a product across those 175,000, what were the key trends that we were seeing that people were citing as being the reason why they were getting a a bad review, you know, a two or a three. And we mapped out, um, and if any of your listeners are interested, go to our brightpearl.com and download the report on the customer review culture. But in there, there's a bunch of data, which is really interesting because it identified the, the main areas of um, the reason why people were giving crappy reviews was uh, late delivery, wrong product being delivered, um, poor, um, poor insight into the status of an order, so you would make a product, you'd order it, and then it would, you know, you'd lose visibility of where it was on the supply chain, so on and so forth. So there's about ten major themes uh, that were identified, and then we said, okay, well, let's look at what gives us a positive review. So we looked at all the five star reviews, same same number size, 150,000 reviews on Trustpilot, and we identified the top ten or the top reasons why people were giving a good review. And it was interesting. It was all about uh, product arrived on time, uh, no errors, really good customer service. I had visibility all the way through. Uh, product met my expectations. And then we looked at both of them. And we said, isn't that interesting? They're both the same root cause. And if you map them back, the reason why people give bad reviews is usually because there's a mistake made in the back office or in the warehouse. So there's a pick-pack ship error because you're not using barcoding or there was an overselling because you didn't, you'd already sold that product through another channel at the moment it was ordered online, 
and then you misset the customer expectations or you weren't able to give visibility uh, post-order that there was a delay caused by XYZ and you manage the expectations of the customer. So it was really interesting. It's like it, the, the number one source of bad reviews is the issues that arise in the back office, not the product, not mm-hmm. the product, which I thought was, is, is uh, it's a testament as to, as to why this is so important. And the other thing that, I, that we called out was um, in, the, in the difference between revenue for customers that had a median average of three stars and customers that were able to deliver five stars, uh, sorry, merchants, excuse me, they weren't all our customers. Um, the difference between a three and a five was a 30% chain, um, increase in revenue on lifetime value basis from those customers. So it's hugely important that merchants really do put a lot of effort into the operational side of their business and make sure that those workflows that they're running in the back office are designed around the customer experiences that they want their customers to have. So, so where do they essentially start? You know, where would they, where are the low hanging fruits, where are they going to get, you know, the maximum buck for their time invested in the, in the back, you know, the back mm-hmm. office, where, where do you see um, your, <clears throat> yeah. The, the, What's the, the approach that I see taken? So, so don't run out and buy software. That's the first okay. thing. <laughs> um, the first thing that you should do is sit down with your team um, you've obviously got a great team if you've already developed a cool product that is uh, resonating out there and you're building a loyal customer base. And uh, essentially, use a tool, a simple tool, lucid charts, whatever, some type of workflow too, and get very clear on the customer experience that you want your clients to have. Mm-hmm. So that's open up the ideas factory, if you like, with your team and capture what is the experience we want our customers to have in the life cycle from order to receipt and also in the use case of reverse logistics or returns, what is the experience that we want our clients to have? So, so that's the like first thing. One day, one day, you know, one day deliveries for, you know, yeah. one day local yeah. deliveries. Um, what yeah. else would you pile in there in, in that experience? Uh, it, yeah, it would be, um, our, what's our return policy? Are we going to charge for it? Are we going to, are, are we going to segment return policy? Like you get free returns if you've got high lifetime value mm. or your return customer. Um, um, it, it's, if you buy more than one product, are you going to get automatic discounts or credits in the loyalty program? Are you going to run a loyalty program? Mm. So it's, it's, it's really just sitting down with your team and mapping out yeah. what the experience you want your customer to have. Yeah, it'd be great to have a, a template, you know, of, you know, a customer, you know, experience template, and then you, you know, with with questions, and then you just answer with uneven options potentially. Yeah, yeah, um, but a lot of people go out and talk to their successful customers, and they ask them typically before they move into this new markets, new channels. They actually stop and say, right, we're doing well in one channel. What is it that's making us successful? Because that's what you've got to protect as you go into multiple channels. Mm. And that's the, whole, that's the whole point of technology is to allow you to offer the same level of personalized service that you delivered that made you successful in year one, mm-hmm. or sorry, got you to a million. That is what you've got to protect as you move into the other channels. And you've got to be able to do that whilst improving your margin. So you have to be able to use technology to emulate that level of service. Mm. Uh, and focus your resources because that's, that's the key problem that, mm. that occurs. Um, and there's tons of uh, 
life cycle experiences that or sorry um, examples out there if you if you look it up on Google. Um, okay. But a lot of our customers just use. You know, I mean, I've been in meetings where people have just presented workflows on the experience that they want to have in the US on their direct channels, their indirect channels. And they've done it using lucid charts. I mean, it's, you don't need to go out and spend a load of money on this. Mm. So that's stage one. Um, Then stage two is to sit down with your operations team, get them to understand the life cycle that you want to be able to deliver and ask them whether your current systems are capable of delivering that um, uh, service without an increase in spend or margin. Sorry, erosion of margin. Mm-hmm. So, so that's before you've done any uh, specification work on in terms of requirements or gap analysis. But that's the second phase. What, what about companies using three PL, you know, three um, PL um, services? Oh. How how does that fit into to the mix? Well, in in terms of the there's the desired service that you want your customers to have, and then it's well, how do we deliver that within the budget that we've got, and mm-hmm. also the access to stock that we have. So. The questions then will be, in which countries are we going to do our own warehousing? In which markets are we going to leverage 3PL? Where are we going to use drop shipping? Are we going to use um, more value-added services like FBA? And mm-hmm. they are the type of questions that you need to be answering uh, in the uh, meeting when your operations team look at the desired uh, customer experience you have because there'll be a finance person in the room controlling the margin discussion. Uh, that if you want to emulate the service that you've given today in your zero to one million, you then need to look at, well, how do I deliver that same experience using things like 3PL or FBA? And what are the costs of those services? Yeah. And this is before, before you buy any tech. Mm. And we, we get a lot of merchants who come in and they basically have a long list of requirements. And then we, because we, the, the issue for, for, for a company like Bright Pearl is we are, for merchants only, we are configurable by design, but we're not customizable. So that what mm-hmm. that means is that we offer a utility service and, and there's a whole bunch of functionality within the product. But it's very important that merchants come to us and we have a discovery process where we really understand what is it, what is the customer experience that you're looking to deliver and what operational um, capabilities are you looking to deploy to get those uh, experiences made a reality. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's why we really encourage merchants to go through this path of really understanding your requirements operationally, but map it to the to the customer experience team. Two. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. Too many people just come in with a long list of technical requirements, and uh, that's usually the wish list. And it's interesting, mm-hmm. actually. There's a big difference between European merchants and American merchants. U.S. merchants seem to come in with a very much um, they take a minimum viable product approach. They really? they yeah, it's, a, it's a really interesting. When I look at the requirements that come in, and maybe it's a function of single market, um, mm. you know, it's a single market, but they do have their complexities now with U.S. Um, sales tax, which is a sales yes, tax uh, that they need to account for. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but they do have bigger 3PLs, to your point, um, more, more, more awareness of what type of drop shipping services they can use. But as a result, they tend to favor business models that are simple, um, and they focus on margin. Whereas when we get into the European markets, some of the uh, some of the uh, requirements that come into us are really complex, and we have difficulty understanding. Well, why why are you boiling the ocean? Why are you making your business model so complex? I, I think this is a, 
I think I think the so just to interject, I think the yeah. the challenge for most European, you know, um, you know, merchants is the fact that they do not obviously ambitious ones do not want to settle in their local market. So they think very yeah. expansive. They're thinking, you know, two two, three steps ahead. How how can we serve, you know, various um, countries and you know how can we eventually make that big leap to the US? But the US market is you know huge in itself. Uh, we were talking you know four hundred million, you know so people you know there, and um, so they could you know make a fortune just you know serving that market, which is the biggest in the world. I believe. Exactly. And to, and to your point, to get the scale effect in Europe, people uh, think two or three steps ahead. How do I get big in UK? Then Germany? Then and as a result, the complexity of what they want to offer can uh, increase. But mm-hmm. there are clients and customers of ours that have very simple models that are European-based and are hugely successful because mm-hmm. they just keep it simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, any, any sort of um, any other? There's a third category as well of, of merchants yeah, out there, which are the big companies. So established okay. established brands. Um, like pet food manufacturers, food manufacturers, which is interesting, um, sporting goods manufacturers, like really big brands. And what they're doing is um, leveraging technologies like uh, Bride Pearl for fast go-to-market um, experiments around direct-to-consumer. Because a lot of these brands go through classic distribution. They can see that there's emerging brands that are going direct-to-consumer that are much more efficient and have direct um, relationships with the end customer. And as a result, now a lot of, we've seen probably in the last year and a half, uh, we're seeing a lot more larger brands come with a requirement to go to market really quickly with a bunch of merchandise or a single product and run tests that are direct to consumer, which I think is interesting. That's, That's a super interesting cohort. So they're trying to, they're disrupting themselves essentially. Correct. Yes. Because, you know, the innovator's dilemma when you're in a big company is real. Mm -hmm. They know that. And they're establishing groups that are outside of corporate and they're giving Mm -hmm. them the remit to go and test and build direct consumer uh, um, plays because they can see massive disruption in the market. Do you mind sharing any examples if if you you're permitted? To? I, 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 won't, I won't be able to mention any names, <laughs> unfortunately. I mean, they these are big companies that uh, I would yeah they would beat me in court if they didn't like what I said. So <laughs> I'm not saying anything, but I think for your listeners, it's really important because for me, it's it's an exciting point because mm-hmm. they can see the level of disruption that is now emerging in the marketplace. And it goes back to the doom and gloom that we hear about retail dying. It's not. It's just going through a massive transformation. There's a huge opportunity for data-centric merchants that have the ability to scale without the inverse increase in costs whilst protecting margin. They're the ones that are going to nail it. Mm. Okay, um, I have two questions for you in in regards to um, your first two segments and your third Mm -hmm. segment. In terms of your third segment, um, they will have had very established, um, you know, channels. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's retail stores, distribution, what have what have you. Um, where is the biggest lever point selling direct to consumer? For those large brands, it's about having access to consumer behavior data. So it's mm-hmm. about what because if you think about large brands, they go through distribution, um, and that has been the classic model for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but the challenge that they have is then they have to bypass that and spend a fortune on 
product market fit, advisory, mm-hmm. survey groups, Surveys. customer, yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, customer tasting groups or whatever. And by going direct to consumer, they can bypass all of that, build a direct relationship with the customer. But as I said, they're really after the data. They want mm-hmm. to be able to have that um, data-centric approach and then they can leverage, um, you know, there's a whole plethora now of um, machine learning and, or AI tools that anyone can plug into a data set. So, so it's what, not about, what, what, what not they about doing the with AI, the data. it's about the data. Sorry? What are they doing with the data? They're, they're understanding they uh, uh, preferences, buying behavior, um, association, so likelihood to buy more. Um, mm. So it's essentially all of the gameplays that the brands want to emulate uh, mm. that has been led the way by companies like Amazon, because Amazon have pioneered that, as we all know. Yeah. And yeah. with the, with the um, commoditization of technology, as it becomes more available to everyone else, the large brands are realizing, well, well hang on a minute, it, if, if we don't control the data, then our brands are going to be commoditized by marketplaces like Amazon. Mm. And um, that's why we're seeing such a such a surge in the stock price for companies like Shopify, because Shopify is mm. a platform that is all about promoting brands, where Amazon is Very all about consumer. promoting price. Yeah. Um, so it's not a brand protector. I love so that. <laughs> you know, and, and the, the big companies get that. And they are, um, sorry, the big brands get that. And they know that the path to resolution is for brand protection is the data. Mm. And that's within GDPR and all of the good rules that have been put in place because yep. the data can be anonymized. It's about patterns, behaviors, cohort analysis. Uh, so, it's so, about on- so, so do you see them bypassing distribution or retaining distribution, just powering um, you know, what they distribute with that data? Or um, do you see more activity selling direct to consumer you know, via subscriptions or, or what have you? Well, so subscriptions is, is um, you know, subscription models for consumer goods is, is fraught with difficulty, and that's a, that's a whole different um, topic. But if you're asking whether I believe that, you know, distribution is coming to an end, um, I would say no. I, I, I think what we are seeing is customers are deciding which markets uh, or which cohorts they will uh, deploy distribution. They'll deploy direct-to-consumer uh, they'll uh, deploy B2B with no consumer touch. And they want a system that's a hybrid that can support those different business models. They want one system with one central repository of data. I don't mm-hmm. see, you know, I'm, you know, crystal ball in this day of, uh, in these days of uh, uncertainty around things like Brexit and stuff. I, I wouldn't, wouldn't dare to comment on that, but I don't see that occurring. Okay. I see a um, mix. Then, second question around the, the first two cohorts. Um, so, um, pretty much um, digital native brands and brands, you know, gradually expanding. Um, where are they, where are they tapping? Are they doubling down on, on digital or are they also embracing, you know, retail and, and distribution? Well, um, I think companies that have a simple uh, product that uh, has a high degree of um, customer endorsement mm-hmm. and a unique brand that can be positioned globally and, and and fulfilled globally with efficiency. Uh, like, for example, we have a customer of ours that is out, out of South America. They sell um, spandex. So to, to, to um, women, they have a high degree of celebrity endorsement. And they are, you know, 50,000 orders a day type volume. So it's quite significant. 
mm-hmm. um, as a as a growth uh, as a growth engine. So I don't I don't see those guys um, deviating from that channel. I see them growing through just finding more and more endorsements, and then mm-hmm. probably rolling out the same playbook into other products. And I think mm-hmm. that's what I do see is I see the emergence of brand holding companies where they get mm-hmm. the direct consumer play right. For example, Spandex. They have all of the systems, logistics, the placement, the pricing strategies, all of that is nailed. Um, and then they uh, decide, okay, let's just move sideways and have another brand that fulfills the same type of play and we can leverage all the same systems. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I'm seeing. It's, it's kind of like um, if you look at, um, what's it called, Eve mattresses or um, the, the other yeah. one, um, how they started out from mattresses and all of a sudden they're becoming a, a bedroom, um, yeah. you know, um, well, comp- well, essentially yeah. sleep. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that's more of a classical, you know, I start off selling the bed and then I'm going to sell you a, a lamp. Uh, but, but, but there's also the other play where you you – for example, this company that is doing spandex, uh, that's a very distinct product into a, uh, a uh, an identifiable sort of cohort of customer type, a very fixed profile, uh, women at a certain age. And then they have, what they've done is they've mapped out what other products will those women want. And they're not necessarily associated to clothing. They might be, um, um, a, it, it might be a, um, a product that's related to HRT, for example. Mm. So it's more around the individual and they do a lot of work on analyzing the individual and what other products could we sell to them, but with a different brand, but using the same technology stack. So they get that multiplier effect. That's a holding company play. Do, do they use the same, do they reuse the, the customer base or um, do they build from scratch just due to GDPR? Um, yeah, they, they, they uh, it depends. I mean, this company that I'm thinking about sell internationally and internationally, they, the really only strength of um, privacy protection is GDPR in Europe. It's not the same in the US or China or Asia. Um, mm. But I, I actually don't know uh, whether they use the customer base, but I do know that they run brands on the same tech stack and they run the same playbook. Um, yeah. um, and that allows them to replicate that technology stack. Yeah, and it also gives them leverage for the team because the team know exactly what to do. And so, um, Correct. Uh, and, and this is what the big brands, back to our earlier cohort discussion, are after. They want to do the same play, same yeah. tech stack deployed to the same profile. So it's all about customer-centric marketing and brand product development uh, rather than lifestyle, you know, to your point around we'll sell them everything that they need for their bedroom. Mm-hmm. Very customer centric approach. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Um, um, any parting um, piece of advice to, to listeners, Derek? Um, I'm amazed at how many merchants come to us and they ask us to look at their back office. And then I ask them who in their team has experience of um, planning out operational support for desired customer journeys. And I get a lot of customers that come to us or merchants that haven't got the right muscle or hiring plan, if you like, for operational uh, operation ex- experts, if you like. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would say to any merchants out there, really look at your strategy, then look at the structure of people in your um, group and make sure that you've got the right skills in play for where you want to go. And don't necessarily rely on the team that you've had always to get to where you are. 
that's sort of a generic comment, but I make it because uh, I see it all the time. And it's even more uh, 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 of an issue in the retail world because you, you get very high staff attrition in the retail world relative to mm-hmm. other um, other sectors. So it's not really about the tech. It's about that planning and the people uh, that give you good understanding of your requirements. And then don't boil the ocean. Uh, don't try and get uh, everything that you think you're going to need. Just get what you need now to be able to grow revenue at margin efficiency, or sorry, deliver margin efficiency back to you, your investors, or, or your wife, if, that, if that's the type of business that you're running. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, I I learned a ton, um, especially relating to just customer centric, um, you know, um, expansion, really retail expansion. Um, yeah, it's been brilliant. Um, we, if people wanted to, you know, follow you, Bright Pearl, um, where you most active on um, online. Uh, the the guys are pretty active. I'm terrible on Twitter. I just uh, I haven't really got into it at all. You know, we do a lot of blogs, podcasts uh, like this. Um, so it's Twitter and, and LinkedIn and uh, uh, Facebook. But uh, really? yeah, or just people can drive I'm, me an email if they've got uh, any questions. Yeah, I'm going to link to the um, white paper you, you, you put on, um, the one you were referring yeah. to. Regards to the yeah. trust pilot analysis, I find that really, really interesting. I actually have it open here. Um, yeah. The rise of review culture. For those of you who just want to Google it right now, um, if you just type out Bright Pearl Trust Pilot to Google and just type out, you know, um, the yeah. rise of um, culture, you, you get there. Um, so, some very, very super interesting, um, you know, insights here. Um, and yeah, thank you so much um, for, for coming on the show, Darren. Yeah, no, and I, I would close by saying we're, we're, we were started in the UK, but the majority of our business now is in the USA. Um, we're um, headquartered out of Austin, Texas now. Okay, pretty, pretty. And Bristol. And Br- Bristol is where our engineering center of excellence is, which okay. is in, in keeping with the tradition of the city and Mr. Burnell and everything else. <laughs> Good. Great. Listen, a pleasure talking to you. Take pleasure. care of yourself. Okay, cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So that was a wrap on this week's episode of 2X E-Commerce. Remember, you can catch me every week and also send your questions and comments on Twitter using the hashtag 2XEcommerce. Keep yourself in the loop by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. It only takes a few seconds and it means you'll get the most up-to-date episodes to help you grow your online store. Do have a good one till I catch you on the next show. Bye-bye.